This is Jason Albert, and you are listening to Nordic Nation from Faster Skier. Kevin Bolger, at 26 years old, has emerged as a key part of the U.S. ski team's evolving sprint roster. He was recently renominated to the U.S. ski team's B team for a second consecutive year. This is still a timely interview. However, we reached Bolger when temperatures were much cooler on March 4th. And he was prepping for the remainder of his ski season in his brother's adopted home of Norway. In this episode, we discuss his time developing as a multi-sport athlete and his sinuous journey to the World Cup. I'm currently in Kongsberg, Norway, which is about an hour and a half uh, south, southwest of uh, Oslo. Okay. And how did you end up there in particular? Um, here, uh, my brother, actually, um, I kind of follow my brother all around Norway, I guess, but, uh, he's living here now with his girlfriend. Um, and yeah, it works out that it's, it's a pretty good spot to be right now, especially after uh, world championships and drum coming up. Um, I'm only about 30 minutes from Drummond, so it's works out really well. So what is your brother doing in Norway? He just finished up getting his PhD, um, up in Trondheim at Olympia Topin, um, in NTNU. And now he's living down here um, and working out of uh, a littler area south of here called Bö Telemark, where he's um, brewing uh, beer and cider. All right. So he's in Norway. And okay, well, let's take a, a, t- a step back. So you sort of came to, I, I would say, like you were on like my radar and, and we'll kind of flesh this out a bit, but you had won um, a sprint national championships. And I think it was classic back in 2017 at, at yep, Soldier yep. Hollow. And I remember it's classic because it was a real funky day for folks and kick. You were on the super tour last year. I think I have that right. And we're doing quite well. And in Lottie, uh believe after the Olympics last year, in a sprint, you had a great result. So before we get to all the kind of glory wearing stars and stripes, (laughs) um, I am curious, like you grew up in the Midwest and what was your, you know, was it kind of a typical, like you grew up in a club program, skied high school as you developed? Yeah. I mean, I started skiing when I was, you know, in third grade. Um, and it wasn't, it wasn't kind of my only focus. I mean, I was kind of, had my fingers in a lot of different pies, I guess, where I was playing basketball and playing soccer and football. I was kind of doing all of it. And then in high school, it wasn't a real recognized sport by our high school, but I still, you know, still joined our, our high school team, I guess. And, uh, that was my first, you know, real big involvement, um, in it with the Lakeland Nordic ski club. Okay. And so that's, so when you say Lakeland Nordic ski club, is it sort of like a non varsity sport at the high school? So they call it a club or something, or is this like a, like a formal club that's, you know, dialed in on waxing and all that? Uh, no, it's, so it, it is a, it is a recognized, um, sport at the high school. It is like a varsity sport. Um, but I don't think it, it at the time, I think it does now, but it didn't fall under the, um, WIAA Wisconsin sport program, actual umbrella for sports. I think if I remember that correct. Okay. And how'd that go for you in high school? I was, it was great. I mean, uh, 
where as I kind of approached high school, um, it was always basketball and skiing. And in high school, those two sports overlapped. So coming into my freshman year, I, I guess at the time was faced with a difficult decision. Um, I look back now and it's a pretty clear decision of skiing was the, the clear choice, not basketball. And so, yeah, I obviously started skiing and, uh, yeah, from my freshman year to ju- uh, senior year, I was um, on varsity my four years. Um, my junior, senior year, I was uh, back to about Wisconsin high school state champion. Um, so, it, yeah, it went really well. And then as I started to focus a little bit more and more on skiing, I started to travel over to uh, Minneapolis, Minnesota, and train with a summer club out of um, Forest Lake um, called Nordic Works with Dino Johnson. Okay. And how tall are you? Uh, about six, four, six, four. Okay. Uh, what I do remember distinctly is I met your dad at, at soldier hollow when you won that championships. I remember just kind of standing near the mix zone and I could hear him talking about a Kevin Bolger. I was like, Oh, that must be his dad. And I introduced myself now. Are you taller than your dad? Cause I remember he was one tall dude. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, uh, I, yeah, I'm the tallest in the family, not by much, oh, you but, are. but yeah, I am. <laughs> okay. Um, all right. And so how did you end up getting – you skied at University of Utah. And that is – you know, that's um, that's a tough place to, one, e- even get recognized to be recruited, let alone being able to ski there. You know, so how did that come about for you? Um, I, I mean, a lot of it was with approaching um, post-high school, a lot of talking with um, Dino Johnson, the club coach out of uh, Minnesota, and also my high school coach, Kent Scoville. But Dino Johnson was the one who kind of brought up doing a potential postgraduate year with the Sun Valley Ski Education Foundation, which was at the, I mean, myself and my parents, we were all very clueless um, at the time, not really sure what, what was happening. But we did know that a lot of, a lot of skiers in college were not your typical American skier. You know, they were coming from Norway, Sweden, um, Germany, you know, et cetera. And they were coming in as freshmen when they were you know, 20 year old, 20 years old or older. And there is just not a, it's not easy to compete against those guys when you're, you're 18 and just the level of development in the U S is not the same as it is here in other countries. So that's, that was my pathway. I mean, my parents were behind me, you know, and I was super motivated with my skiing to, to want to take it to the next level. So I, yeah, I, that's when I decided to go to Sun Valley, um, and not only do one year, but I actually ended up taking two years off from high, um, college just to ski and develop. Gotcha. Okay. So I actually didn't know you took two years off. So, you know, what was, which is really interesting when you think about, um, you know, cause it's, I, I, it's not necessarily like the buzz at faster skier currently, but like, you know, several years ago, you know, the debate of like, should kids go to college if they have aspirations of skiing on the world cup or internationally, or should they try and get in with a, you know, uh, top tier gold team situation or APU or Stratton and forego the college situation for the time being. Um, so what was the calculus with the second year? Um, I mean, it was partially me and, uh, my just dragging my feet a little bit on applying to colleges and getting myself out there. But at the same time, it was wanting to develop a little bit more as a skier and Chris Mallory, my coach now, um, on the gold team, was also my coach um, when I was a postgraduate with Sun Valley. And he was as well kind of behind it a second year as well. He, 
I think he knew I, I took a really big step forward in the right direction that year. But also if I really wanted to go to college um, at like a Utah and perform, yeah, maybe, maybe that second year was necessary. And I don't think after that first year, maybe I had the recognition from, you know, a top school like Utah or, um, to get recruited. You know, and I know there are tons of kids from that Sun Valley program or the West that head East for college. Um, and it's definitely a different culture skiing wise when it comes to like East Coast college scene and West Coast college scene. Would you have, I mean, did you even consider going to the East for school or were, were you set on the Utah's CUs of, of the world? Um, I was pretty set on going West. I mean, there was a little contact with some coaches out, out East, but I mean, it was slim to none, if anything. Um, as I drove out West to Sun Valley for my first year off, um, I kind of did a whole, I, you know, toured Boulder and um, I looked at Utah, I looked at MSU and those were kind of my three main focuses for skiing after high school. This debate does come up and I've, uh, I probably won't edit this out because Zoe Roy is a good friend of mine. But you know, she and I have spoken a bit in the past about like, you know, hey, what are your thoughts? She went to Utah, and what are your thoughts about, you know, the heavy, the recruitment from Scandinavia when it comes to Nordic athletes, and whether or not that displaces American athletes from possible NCAA spots. You know, it's sort of a loaded question, but you know, kind of curious to get her thoughts. And I, you know. Hopefully she won't get mad if I do this out, but I recall her saying something like, you know, she felt like for her own athlete development, it was fantastic to have that caliber of athlete to train with every day and to compete against. So when you were at Utah, you know, how did that play out for you? You know, having all of a sudden, not necessarily all of a sudden, but, you know, you're being thrown in with kids, young adults who may have been on the cusp of making the Norwegian team and now you're training with them for NCAA competition. Yeah. I mean, I, I think it's a, it's a very yeah, touch, not touchy subject, but I think a lot of people have their own opinions on it. But for me, I, I agree kind of with Zoe with Zoe that for me as a skier, it, it only helped me become better. Um, having these skiers around me, um, it pushed me. It definitely made me more, um, driven in my, in skiing. So, yeah, I, I can see how people think that, yeah, they're, maybe they're taking away um, scholarships and your NCAA spots. But, I mean, at the end of the day, I think it's, it should only be a motivational um, pusher. And for me, that's what it was. I, I think I recall you saying, and I have done background research, but I haven't gone back and listened to the interview we did, like, what seems like, you know, eons ago. Yeah, exactly. Um, so... I recall you saying at Soldier Hollow, we were sitting in like what appeared to be like a kindergarten classroom. I don't know if you remember, the seats were really teeny. And I remember like you were sitting in this kindergartner seat with your knees like almost hitting your chin. You probably don't recall this, but. No, no, I absolutely remember. I mean, okay. it's definitely, definitely one of those highlights that I'll never Okay. Forget. Well, I just was like, okay, this is kind of weird. This dude's like six, four and sitting in a teeny little chair. Um, but. I recall you saying that you had never podiumed at an NCAA race uh, before. And, you know, is that, I, I have not gone back to fact check that. I'm sure that's right. But it, is that true? I mean, had you not podiumed at, at an NCAA level race? Yeah, yeah, that's, that's correct. 
So what, what was your, you know, NCAA career like, um, you know, at a place like Utah? Yeah. I mean, for an American coming in at first, it was make the NCAA team all four years, um, which I did accomplish freshman, you know, sophomore, junior, senior year. And then it wasn't until my, my junior year and senior year when I became, um, I finished in the top 10 and became all American. Um, and that was just twice, once my junior year and once my senior year. And while this is going on, right? I mean, you're getting what type of interest or any type of exposure are you getting to say US ski team camps or junior level camps? Um, at the time, I don't think I was getting any. I mean, there was, you know, those, the, the typical fall camp that the US ski team does in Park City. Um, but then again, you know, I was at Utah and it was always, it was convenient to get there and um, and they're open to having, you know, some, sometimes the Utah team come up and train with them for some of the sessions. So yeah, I had some, a little exposure there. Um, and also a little bit in, um, Ben camp as well. Um, but that's, that's really about it. There, but there's no real direct, um, contact between myself and the, and the team. In terms of like talking about when did you end up going over to Norway and, you know, I guess when did your brother start? studying over there and when was he like hey man you need to come over here and expose yourself to this level of training was that concurrent with college or is that post-college no no it's it's concurrent i mean i think it was after i don't remember the exact year but i want to say it was the summer after um my sophomore year of college so i think i spent my freshman year out there full year and then i went to norway um after my sophomore year and i've been going back every summer since Okay. And, and so that's what I've heard. I mean, I've heard from people, it's like, and mostly like, say from my kid, who's more of a social, you know, on social media following you guys than, yeah, than I am. Yeah. And he's like, oh yeah, this Kevin Bolger guy, he's, I don't think he's around Sun Valley. I think he's in Norway all summer. So, so that's been sort of your paradigm. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I've been going over for, I mean, you're allotted whatever 90 days in a, in a said, a said country. Yeah. So with, you know, I'm staying within that, but yeah, anywhere from, my, I think two summers ago, I was there for about 90 days, um, or yeah, anywhere from a month to three months. And so uh, I kind of got two threads going here, right? To NCA, but like flipping over to Norway as, you know, y- you obviously have, you know, a conduit there, your brother, I'm assuming at that point was in Tron time. Um, is that right? Yep. Yeah. He was studying still at the okay. time. So there's, you know, Trondheim seems to be the hotbed of like one academic research going on on like things as minute as how to max, you know, engineering a ski to, um, you know, how to eke out 0.1% more power double polling or whatever. There's a lot of cool academic research going on there. On top of that, there's also like, you know, I think Nortug was based out of there for a while and, um, I can't believe his name is the guy with the pink poles. <laughs> I'm embarrassed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, clap up. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so he's based out of there. There's a lot of guys, a lot of fast women there, you know? So as a sophomore, what type of exposure are you getting? Like, who are you training with and, and jumping in with there during the summer? Um, so, yeah, so I was pretty lucky to have my brother over there, A, because he was um, doing a lot of his studying at Olympia Topin, where a lot of the... Uh, Norwegian national team athletes do their testing. 
Um, and at the time, I know he was working more with Eldar Roning at the time, but he was living, uh, my brother Connor was living in the same, I guess, like apartment complex as Niklas Deerhaug. Um, and that was my first training partner when I was in Norway was Niklas Deerhaug. Um, and I'll never forget showing up to my, you know, I met him outside the first morning we were going to go train and he just kind of looks at me. He's like, Hey, so, uh, are you in shape? And I was, I was like, yeah, yeah, I think so. He's like, all right, cool. Let's go then. And I was just like, all right, here we go. And now that was my first, yeah. First exposure with the trainings with training over there with those guys. It was pretty, um, and well, what does that mean? Like, are you in shape? Like, what did he have in mind that day? I have no, I, I think he just hope was hoping that I could keep up. <laughs> I mean, I don't, I don't really know. Um, but yeah, that was kind of just like, yeah, I was like, Oh, all right, shit, this, this could be a hard workout, but it, it was just, I think it was an easy, you know, I think we just skied for two hours pretty, pretty easy, but, um, or easy for him. I think I was probably working a little harder. Right. Um, you know, superficially, you know, when you're, when you, you know, cause this question comes up all the time, it's like, okay, w- what makes Norway amazing? They obviously have, and I've heard this a lot this past week talking to athletes are like, how do you compete with a Norway, like in terms of making skis when, you know, they can throw a bunch of resources at lots of different skis and just lots of folks. Um, but you know, as you, spent those numerous summers over there and and you were thinking about your own development and I'm sure you were like a sponge learning from these folks. Um, what did make the difference for you and what kept you going back to say Tron time, you know, rather than staying stateside? Um, yeah. I mean, I was definitely trying to learn as much as I could uh, every session, but I don't know if I can say there's one specific thing that has been clicking for me and that's why I keep going back. Um, I, I think there's a lot, but also it's just, it's, it, it's worked for me. It worked that one summer, you know, and I went back a second summer, it worked again. And so that's kind of, I guess why I've been, I keep doing it cause it is working for me. Um, and I think there's also something that's uh, to be said about getting a, a majority of my training, maybe at sea level versus staying out West all summer and doing, a huge load of my training blocks at altitude. What, um, um, how's your Norwegian? It's not, not great. Luckily all their English over here is really good. This is true. <laughs> is, how's your brother? How's your brother's Norwegian? He's quite good actually. Yeah. He's a lot better than he used to be. Okay. All right. That's funny. Um, and I think all their classes like over in Trondheim, you, are, are the classes all in English or they can think- be? I think most of them. I know if you attend school over in the the ski town of Meroker, which is not so far from Trondheim, that uh, I think they give you like three months to learn Norwegian, and then all their classes switch to to Norwegian. Okay, that's that. That'd be a little grim for me. Yeah, it'd be um, tough. So, you know, I'm curious just to kind of dig, you know, flesh out the Norwegian situation a little bit, you know, I'm assuming that, you know, your brother has access to all these tests, you know, testing equipment, roller ski treadmill. And, you know, I think in one of the emails or, you know, I only have like maybe two emails from your brother, but he spoke a little bit about, I think, you know, just looking at you on a roller ski treadmill and having that opportunity to really kind of start breaking down technique yeah, I am curious, like being a taller guy, you're six four, 
And I don't know what your like ape index is, like the ratio of your arms to to your general height. But like, what sort of technique things were you were you know getting super geeky? What sort of technique things were you working on over there and trying to fine tune? Uh, I think the biggest and the most eye opening for me when I got over there was how much double pulling that they did, and I think that correlates to you know obviously classic skiing and your skate skiing. In the first two summers I was there, I mean, a lot of my training was all double pull focused, which then strength based, I was doing a lot more core. And I think, and because I am taller, um, for anyone who has a taller build, I think just increasing your core um, load is is super important to, um, to protect your back and, and just become stronger. But the double pulling was a huge eye opener for me. Um, and I think that's kind of been the trend all over the past few years is the increase in double pulling that athletes are doing. I'm just curious how, when you were in high school, you're six, four, what was your growth curve? Like, were you, you know, like five, six as a freshman and shot up to six, four by the time you were say a senior, what was that? Yeah. What was that like? I think I, I grew pretty steadily. I don't think I had that, that one just massive spurt that I can remember at least. Okay. Um, I was, I was kind of always, you know, when you're in a class and they say line up from tallest to shortest, I was always the tallest. Uh, I just, yeah, that's kind of, that's kind of how I remember it. You, you know, again, like came onto my radar. I remember, you know, distinctly it was kind of a, kind of a snow, wet, snowy day, kind of zero-y conditions at Soldier Hollow 2017 National Championships. And it was a classic uh, skate or a classic sprint. Um, and you were in a heat with Dakota Black Horse Von Jess, who's a local guy here from from Bend. And you two were off the front maybe by the second climb, is what I recall. I don't know if you can visualize any of this. Um, yeah, yeah, absolutely. And coming down, there's like a descent that comes into that kind of real punchy, on this particular day, it was like a herringbone hill, and then there's the final descent into the stadium. I don't know if you can kind of yeah, yeah, do it. Okay. Yeah. So I remember you maybe and Dakota coming over that top hill kind of together, but you certainly, you got a gap. I was a little bit like had to go back and look at the start list and look up your name and be like, who's that guy? And through the course of the day, uh, you obviously proceeded you know, semifinals and then won the final. And I think there were a couple of Canadians on the podium with you, if I recall that correctly. Um, first national championship and certainly the first time that you were on my radar. And I think a lot of people's radar, um, you know, I'm kind of curious if you can kind of reflect on that day and maybe what that did for your confidence. And you had mentioned that up to that point, you had not been even on an NCAA, not even, but you hadn't been on an NCAA podium at that point. No, no. So that would have been, I think that was my senior year um, Yeah, when I was at, at the U. But yeah, like you were saying, it's just a super funky day of skiing. Um, but when all that kind of boils down, it's everyone is, for me, it's always just, block out everything else and just go ski fast. The rest will happen. And of course things have to align on that said day and the wax has to be right. Your body has to feel right. But that, that was a day that everything was just clicking perfectly for me. And, and I think I remember telling you too, like in, before I start each heat, I'll always kind of look at who I'm competing with. 
Oh yeah. Yeah. And that was kind of one of, I think I had Dakota and maybe two of my heats um, going into the, the final. I can't quite remember, but he was always one. I was like, all right, let's get behind Dakota. I'll settle in. I'll relax. And then, you know, it's sprinting. You take it as it comes. And then, yeah, it all came perfectly well. And all the paths led to the final. And I think I remember also that I think I was the only American in the A final. Oh, yeah, I should look that up. But yeah, there were not a lot of them. I mean, that was a what I noticed as well. I remember that there were I don't even think there were any APU athletes in the top 30. Yeah, that I that I'm not sure. But that I yeah, that could be right. There was something crazy, you know, again, funky day. So that said, funky day. Um, at this point, you know, you've been in arguably the highest caliber collegiate program. Um, sorry, see you, but a super high caliber, you know, college program, you've won a national championship. Are you thinking to yourself, that was just a funky day? I mean, like the wax was funky for people or, you know, how are you processing that and thinking about like what your capacities are? No, I mean, I, I don't no, I, nothing to that for me that day was as surprising. I mean, I, that sprint was also, um, the first sprint, um, that the RMISA considered for, to be part of a college race. Um, and I remember looking at Kevin Sweeney, um, before the, the qualifier. And I think that's what they use as their college race. And I said, today's the first sprint race for college. I'm going to go out there. I'm going to win it. And then I won it. And then afterwards I looked at him again. I'm like, I'm going to make it a double win day and I'm going to win this whole thing. And he, I, yeah, my confidence was high that day. And you know, I, I wanted to win. That's, that's every race I want to win. That's just how it is. No, I think, I, I think that's cool. And it's funny. That's sort of coming back to me now that when I'm hearing you say that sitting in the kindergartner chair, you know, um, <laughs> so, you know, that sort of mindset, like I'm going to go in I'm going to win it. And then taking it a step further, I'm going to win the whole thing. Had you already, you know, having, I'm assuming that in Norway, sports psychology is sort of part of a lot of athletes' normal uh, routine. But at that point, were you actively like working on sports psychology or reading about it in any capacity? Not not, um, individually, but um, I think it was my junior year. Um, the whole ski team at the um, at Utah started implementing sports psychology. I think it was every Friday we met with um, one that was you know that worked with all athletics at the at the university, um, and I think that you know I think that helped all of us um, individually and as a team kind of move forward mentally. Okay, um, do you like now? How do you tap into that? Ah, uh, it's. I, I don't really, I don't know. I don't think I really have an answer for it. I just, I take every day as it comes and every race as it comes. And I just try and do my own thing more or less. And I, I block out all that. I know there's people who dig into the criteria of all the stuff and the rules and all this and that. And I, for me, it's you ski fast, everything happens and we'll fall into place. Okay. So that, um, that's a great segue into, cause I do hear that a lot from, from people is like, you know, folks who are kind of obsessing over what, you know, they, they pull up the PDF or they're mining, like, what is the criteria? What's the points list? Where do I stand? Uh, the flip side of that is the real basic, like you just said, uh, ski fast when you have to, and things sort of take care of themselves. That said, skiing fast when you have to. It looks here 
like, and, and I do know this, but I'm just sometimes I don't always trust the fist side. Um, yeah, yeah. Your first, your first World Cup opportunity was last March in Lati. Is that correct? Yep. Yeah, that was my first World Cup. Okay, and so that was the first weekend after Pyeongchang, and you uh, placed eleventh overall. I'm curious, you know, can you walk us through that day a little bit and uh, how you approached it? I mean, I I can't imagine that was a little bit of like a uh, a little bit of a shock in terms of just like race culture. Yeah, I mean, for for me that day, a top thirty was a win. Um, qualifying was going to be a win for me. So going into the day, it's, it was actually kind of weird. I, I didn't really have any nerves. I wasn't nervous. I wasn't freaking out. So that, that, that kind of took me back a little bit. I was like, oh, shouldn't I be nervous for this? Shouldn't, you know, I hear all these stories of everyone just freaking out, and I was just you know, cool as a cucumber, just kind of hanging out. And so I, I don't know if I think that helped a lot. And also the fact that I did spend a lot of my summers training with, you know, the like, you know, Nick Lostierog and Dietrich Tonseth and Emil Iversen. And so I knew a lot of the, I knew some of these guys and they weren't as intimidating as I think maybe some people think they are. Um, and I think that helped a lot for me that day, but I still remember crossing the line and I think it was a fist representative. I can't remember who, you know, looked at me and pointed like, Hey, you know, you're 16th. And I, I kind of did the, I looked behind me, like, who's this guy pointing to? Like, who is, I, he's like, no, you're 16th. And I was like, what is he taught? And I look on the big board in Lati and I was like, holy shit, I, I just, I just, I just qualified. Okay. Uh, okay. And, you know, Matt Wickham's like, you know, you got to come over here for um, uh, heat selection. And I was like, oh, okay. You know, what do, what do I do with my bib? You know, in the US, you give your bib and everything. He's like, what? You're, he thought I was joking. I was like, who do I give it to? He's like, no, you keep it. You know, and I was just like, it was all just this whole new experience, which, which was incredible. Oh, that is so funny. Like you actually get to keep the bib as a, like a memento or something. Oh yeah. I mean, every race that you do, you get to keep all your bibs. Right. You know, right. but for but me, is... and, you know, coming from the U S you know, you give your bib back after every race and then you, you know, you almost sit around and wait an hour before you actually know if you're qualified or not. Right. You're looking for the parent volunteer. Who's like, Hey kid, come over here. You're, you don't want to be that person who doesn't turn their bib in and, Makes a scene. Oh, that is funny. Um, yeah, exactly. I, I'm actually pulled up the results here. And so you must have, uh, you know, you qualified in 16th mm-hmm. and you came in fourth in your quarterfinal, I think. So yeah. you must have been a lucky loser. Yeah, I was. Okay. And then finished sixth in the semi, but outpaced the other sixth place skier in the other semi and finished 11th yeah what was that like about i mean being in that semifinal was pretty surreal i mean especially because in lati you, you run out from kind of the where you dump your clothing you run out to the start and i remember running out to the start and pellegrino was in front of me and he just came from a silver medal at the olympics and um Clavo was behind me who was the you know who won the gold and i was like all right you know this this is real this this is actually happening right now. All right, you know that's that was when I think the nerves started to settle a little bit more. But at the same time, it was like, okay, you know, we're just going to go out and race. And I wish I would have been more aggressive um, in in that semifinal. But uh, at the end of the day, I mean, it was one of the coolest days in my skiing career. Yeah, I can't imagine. I mean, it's a cool venue, and you know, they want 
guys to be stepping up. They want, you know, Andy Newell was clearly going to step away from the World Cup. I think that was sort of a known quantity at that point. And like any coach or program doing their due diligence or like who's in the pipeline, who's coming up. And here they are kind of gifted a Kevin Bolger. And I mean that because it sounds to me like, you know, your development has been a little bit atypical when we think of uh, how a lot of skiers end up on the world cup in the U S correct me if I'm wrong in making that assumption, <laughs> but what, you know, what was the conversation like after that? I mean, I think around the whole venue, I mean, this, I'll use the word stoke was incredibly high. Yeah, I don't know any, anyway. I mean, I, I, was, I won the Continental Cup, the best Continental, Continental Cup skier of the day. You know, so I got the big slice of gear, cheese, and did the whole thing. And yeah, I don't, I don't know if I really knew what was in store or what was going to happen next. It was kind of more or less, all right, you know, I, I hope this wasn't just a fluke. I mean, I want to do it again. And then I was able to repeat it and qualify again in Falloon two weekends later, which was almost just as cool as Lati, just because, you know, showing that I could do it twice. Not only once, I could do it twice. Right. And that's when I think, you know, everything started, started to get more, more and more real um, okay. for me. And kind of jumping to this season, you know, again, it's just kind of a cursory look at results. And I don't really want to drill down on any, you know, oh, you came in this place or that place. But, you know, how would you describe, you know, your, I think, you know, your first full World Cup season, um, you know, ups and downs, what have been the struggles and what have been the highlights? Uh, I, this, it's been, and I mean, the whole thing, I mean, obviously it's not over yet, but it's been, in, I think, a, an awesome season. I've had a lot of fun. It's definitely been a new experience and it's definitely been the biggest jump in uh, competition and skiing for me. I mean, coming from the college circuit to the Super Tour and then straight into the World Cup. I mean, that's a pretty significant jump in level of competition and a big eye opener. And um, coming into the season, I, I didn't want to change anything from my training plan so much. Just, you know, I didn't want to, oh, you know, I'm going up against the big dogs. Now I got to increase my hours by X amount and do things differently and change all this stuff. So kept things relatively the same. Um, definitely changed a little bit. But yeah, of course, I wish I'd be skiing some more semifinals and even finals. But I think, uh, Getting all the experience I've been getting this year has been is only going to bode well for me next year. You placed 18th overall at your first World Championships, so I would assert that like the the stage is not necessarily rattling you at all, and that you know you're able to deliver on a very on. You know, arguably the biggest day of the year for a lot of skiers because they're trying to peak for world championships. Um, do you leave? I mean, did you leave Seyfeld satisfied or are you running through the races and thinking, oh, if I had just done this or done that or eked out a, you know, two tenths of a second here or there? No, I, I left Seyfeld incredibly happy um, and definitely satisfied with, I mean, it was my first championships. And to you know to come top twenty, I think is, is pretty incredible. And I'm yeah, I was very happy with how I skied. And uh, yeah, I, I picked a pretty quick heat skiing with uh, you know Ustiagov and Finn Hagenkrow and uh, Klabo. So I figured it'd be a fast heat, and I was hoping for the best. And 
you know, I finished fourth and the lucky loser time, I think stood for maybe one heat, which, you know, was exciting, but no, at the end of the day, I mean, I came away happy at finishing fourth. I mean, in that heat behind those three skiers who, you know, have all had world cup wins and championship gold medals. I mean, it's for me to be knocking on that door. It's, it's, you know, I, all I want to do is open it and I'm hungry for more. And I, I want, I want the, I want more. <laughs> Now, how, I mean, now you are in the program, right? You know, how, what would you say to, you know, skiers that have, you know, junior national aspirations or high school aspirations, college aspirations, you know, not necessarily like, yeah, I want to go kill it at the World Cup because that's, that's tough to pull off. But what would you say to athletes that, you know, are kind of wondering about their own pipeline and their own development and, and what you may have learned? Yeah, I, I remember. Um, I won't. Not, I'm not going to name any names, but a, a coach, you know, saying to a group of skiers that, you know, if you want to be on the World Cup and you want to be racing, you have to follow the pipeline. You can't go to college. You know, you have to be a full time Nordic skier because that that's just what it takes. And that's not what I did. Um, I did a lot of other sports. I did. Um, you know, I, I wasn't 100 percent focused on skiing. Um, until, you know, I was in high school, um, you know, later on. And then it's, you just gotta, you gotta find the fun in anything you do. Um, and if you're not having fun with something, I mean, I know that comes with any sport. Everyone says you gotta have fun, but I think with skiing, especially, it's so easy to get burnt out. So for me being occupied in other, other, other sports was, I think really big for me and helped me develop into a skier and athlete that I am today. And the fire is still burning. And I know a lot of that burns out in some athletes so it's it's just finding what works for you and no one no one no one has the right answer for each individual athlete i think the athlete has to find that themselves but um yeah at the end of the day it's you got to have fun with it you just got to roll with it and i'm assuming you're probably having lots of fun yeah i mean that's that's what it comes down to i mean i i am having so much fun that's there's not a day that goes by i regret what i'm doing um yeah, every day has been a new adventure and that, yeah, it just puts a smile on my face and it's, yeah, being able to train with, you know, um, you know, Simi Hamilton every day now and Eric Bjornsson and, you know, it's, it's unbelievable for me. It's some of those guys, you know, looking up to as a, a developing skier coming up. So it's, it's really cool to be able to, you know, ski side by side with these guys and, you know, call my teammates and also, um, you know, now my good friends. Okay. Um, thanks a lot. Really appreciate it. I think we covered everything. Anything I missed? Nah, I don't think so. I, okay. Yeah. Cool. All right. Thanks, Kevin, and best of luck uh, the next couple of weeks. Appreciate your yeah, time. Thanks. Yeah, thanks, Jason. I appreciate it. All right. Take care. Bye. Yep. You as well. Bye. Thanks for listening. 